Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're back here in Cleveland, which is rare for us these days. And I'm here with our publisher, Pat Jones. And we're going to be talking about some of the things that he's seen in his recent travels and some of the things that I've seen on my recent travels and some of the uh, topics that are really big in the industry right now. So first off, Pat, you were recently at Green Start Academy outside Raleigh, North Carolina. How was that event? And what did you learn there? Um, well, it was great. I hadn't been to it in about 10 years. And, you know, there's 50 of the best and brightest young, young necessarily, not necessarily, but, but assistant superintendents from around the country. Uh, it, was, it was a great group. I was really impressed. I, I, I learned a few things. I learned that uh, those folks take that event very seriously as an opportunity to, to learn and to build relationships. But I also learned, again, and, and I kind of joke about this, that that we need to we need to convince people that networking is not a dirty word. Uh, that, 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 that when you go to an event like that, or if you're a, an aspiring turf professional and you're going to go to a trade show like GIS or the, uh, the Carolina show, which I think we'll talk about in a minute, or OTF, uh, you need to come prepared to network and you need to do some things in advance to network. So, so at, at GreenStart, I challenged uh, each of those young people as they came up in, in groups, we broke into small groups, to give me a business card. Give me a business card. And, and, and uh, about half of them had some kind of a business card. And, and that may seem like a, you know, kind of a cranky old fart thing to do, but, but those things matter. It matters that you're prepared to, uh, to solidify a relationship by keeping in touch with them. And, and, and it, yeah, we live in an era of cell phones, and it's easy enough to, to trade information or, oh, you text me your information or whatever. But a business card matters. The, the world, unfortunately, is run by old farts like me and old farts like the other, some of the other folks that were there, Pat Finlan and Bob Farron. And, and we're people that believe that business cards are, are kind of mandatory from a, a business relationship standpoint. And so, so that's a small thing. But another thing, that, and I think we've talked about this before, if you're going to go to a trade show and you're, you're aspiring to another level, you're aspiring to find a new job or whatever else, take that event seriously and plan in advance. Make some appointments. Actually set hard times and hard places. Don't just do the, hey, I'll see you on the show floor. It never works. So, so make appointments. If you're an Outlook person, you know, send them an invitation from your, your Outlook or whatever your mail system is. Set those times up, set a time and a place, and then be there. And then when you get there, make sure to say, okay, you know, the fundamental question is, what would you do if you were me? You know, if you're talking to a Matt Schaefer or a Bob Farron or one of these guys, Matt, what would you do if you were me? And, and, and they're going to offer you great advice. So, so come prepared to listen. Take notes, and then as soon as you get done, within a day or so after that event, send them either an email or, best case, a handwritten note. It's great to meet you. So, so, and put your business card in that note, too, in case they can't read your signature. Exactly. Just, just do the right thing. So, so when, you're, when you're working hard, as hard as young turf professionals work to get ahead, take a few extra steps to network just as effectively as you're, you're working at your facility to try to build a great reputation. So, so that was one thing that came out of Green Start. I, I think the, the other thing that I really saw is how, um, is just how valuable events like that are from a, from a 
just a conversation standpoint, you know, the small group breakout sessions and stuff with with just some some outstanding people. Tyler Otero was there and and Lucas uh, Lucas Harvey. And so it's just just a great group of people. And, and what what a valuable experience for those young people to go to that. So I, I, I really love getting back to Green Start and I, I hope to do it again in the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I didn't go this year, but I was there the three previous years. And one thing I would add to the whole business card discussion is don't be afraid to invest a little bit of your own money into your career. If you it's work 10 at a, bucks, it's ten yeah, bucks. If you work at a facility sakes. that does not have business cards for whatever reason, go to Vistaprint or right. another site Staples, and print out whatever. your own and you, you can't really have enough of them. Why would you, if you're spending all this money to go to college and spending all this time on the golf course when you're, you're young and trying to get to where you aspire to be, why would you not spend a little bit of extra money to get you to that next step? It's an investment, right? Your right. career is an investment. It's the ultimate, maybe the ultimate investment in your life. Just think if you're, if you you happen to be at a golf event, you, you're attending the U.S. Yeah. Open as a volunteer or something, and there stands Ben Crenshaw and Bill Coor. Don't you want to meet them and say, hey, I would love to continue a relationship with you guys. Can uh, can you add me to your list or whatever? Add me to your, your newsletter list or, uh, you know, keep in touch and hand them a business card. It really doesn't... It, 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 you're not trying to impress some old fart like me. You're trying to impress somebody that can really help you with your career. Another thing that impressed me recently is we were in the lobby, Pat, you and I at the Carolina show, and we ran into a superintendent who was a longtime superintendent in Ohio who just yeah. re relocated to, to Myrtle Beach. And he honestly didn't know anybody in the Carolinas, but there he was at the show and he had a nice black folder. And what was inside that black folder was printed out resumes. And right. he was walking around the show, handing those to people and doing his own networking shortly after moving to Myrtle Beach. I think right. he had only been in Myrtle Beach for a week or two. And that's another thing, you know, if, if, if you're young, bring your resume along and hand it to people that maybe could get it to somebody that could re really help you. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was a smart move, too. And it was it was more than just a resume. It was kind of a career summary. It was really cool. So, yes, just just be smart and take that little extra bit of time before you go to an event or before you're you're you know, you're you're going on a job hunt. Stop, think, plan, take some extra steps. But by God, have business cards. Pat, what were your thoughts about the quality of assistant superintendents you met at Green Start? I've always been impressed by the people that have attended that event. They're probably the best of the best and some of the most aspirational assistant superintendents. They're really an impressive group. And I think the assistant superintendent now more than ever is qualified for these head jobs because of how long the wait is. Yeah, I agree. And, and they, they do. You know, uh, their communication skills are vastly better than they used to be. And, and not just social media, but, but the ability to stand up and, and, and I think that would be one nice thing to add to that, that event would be to kind of randomly pick a few people to have them stand up and make a presentation about something and, and to, to get comfortable with that experience because... These days, a lot of times when you when you are interviewing for a, an important position, you're going to be required to make a PowerPoint presentation. So those skills are really important. But but I think that was the thing that struck me the most is, is you know you used to have kind of the the the, the quiet uh, uh, tough uh, you know assistants that were out in the field every day and and uh, blah blah blah. But the, but these people obviously are are crafting their communication skills. Which is, which is important because, as we are fond of saying here, more people have lost their jobs over poor communications than poor turf by a factor of 20. Um, it, it, it's probably the, the least, 
it's still probably the least uh, attended to skill set among um, what I would call mainstream superintendents. It's probably the most important for the guys who are successful and the women who are successful at higher levels. I remember Billy Weeks telling attendees this in his presentation last year is don't be afraid to promote yourself. I think sometimes we think humil uh, humility is right. a humility is a very desirable trait, but the way Billy put it was if you don't go out there and promote yourself and put yourself in front of other people, nobody else is going to do that Bingo. for you. Assistant superintendents aren't like pro athletes or actors or singers. They don't have an agent doing this work for them. So you, you have to do it yourself, even if it's a little counterintuitive to what your personality traits are. You're, you're going to have to go out there and, and get your name out there to people that, yeah. that you want to work with or work for. Yep. Couldn't agree more. If you don't toot your own horn, nobody's going to do it for you. So we, we mentioned it briefly. Uh, you and I were just at the Carolinas GCSA conference and show in Myrtle Beach. What were your impressions from that event? It was a very uh, brisk three and a half days for us, and we had a great time. What did you come away from the event thinking, uh, Pat? Always, always impressed with the leadership of the Carolinas Association. They're so smart and, and so committed. Uh, they do so many things really, really well. Uh, it was great seeing a, a guy like Adam Charles move through the chairs there and and, and finish his presidency and and he's got to got to feel great about about everything they've accomplished. You know, I think the one thing that that you have to watch out for, and I'm an old dog, so I've seen these cycles of the, these shows over the years and these events, is they do grow. And when you got a good thing going, they grow really nicely as the Carolinas have gotten to the point now where I really do think they're the best regional trade show. I'm not saying they're the best chapter because, God forbid, I say something like that because all no, the other we, chapters will be mad at me. But but I'm saying that, that I'll prevent you from getting into that argument you, right now. You. I'm just saying that that event as a as a as a commercial event is really, really good. So so. What do you do when you reach that apex uh, 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 of that curve to prevent it from going downhill? Um, so, you know, the one thing that, that I think that they need to do is to make sure they continue to have people engaged with the trade show and make sure that, that people really are out there. And this is true for all commercial events in the industry, that, that if you ignore them, they will go away, right? If you ignore the people who are paying the bills and supporting you, they will say, okay, if that's the way it's going to be, I'm not going to come to your show anymore. Or I'm not going to sponsor X or whatever else. So, so particularly at a time when there is this growing feeling among folks on the commercial side of, we're really beginning to question the value of, of the traditional trade show model. So, and, I, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily pervasive and I'm not saying that's necessarily at a show like, like, like Myrtle Beach, but man, I'm telling you, if, if, you if, if we begin to take these things for granted, uh, the, the commercial folks will begin to, to stop investing. So, so never take anything for granted in this industry. Always be grateful. Always spend time engaging with those commercial folks because A, you'll learn stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you'll you'll learn not just about their products, but you'll learn other things. And B, you need to say thanks, because as I'm fond of pointing out, there's about 25 or 30 companies that pay for 80 percent of the stuff in this business. And we all know who they are. And, and, and it's not I'm not trying to denigrate the small companies that do the best they can. 
but but I look at the economics of, of how our business works, and it really is 20 or 25 companies that are, are make the vast majority of the investments in education and training and events and opportunities and even fun things like free golf balls at tournaments and, and things like that. So, so as always, uh, I, I loved the Carolina show, but I'm always a little wary when I when I see uh, fewer people than I expect to see on a show floor on the second day of a show. One thing the Carolinas does really well is that they honor those who came before the current oh, yeah. superintendents, and yes, I think that do. that's really special. And I think that helps attendance too. When when a guy like Palmer Maples oh. is honored, or Will Holroyd, I mean, they had their all their former uh, co-workers were there, and their, and their families were there. But two people in particular were honored. Were Dr. Bruce Martin and Willie Pennington. It was yeah. uh, you know it could be the last Carolina show for both of them in in their current capacities. Pat, how special was it seeing those two? You know them way better than I do. What have, what have they meant to the industry, uh, not yeah. only in that part of the country, but everywhere? You just can't you can't put a value on the contributions that somebody like Willie has made. You know, and, and, and it's true, I think, of a lot of the, the best and, and most experienced of our partners in the sales business, that they do so much and they share so much that has nothing to do with selling you a product. You know, and... and so, so, you know, Willie has been a friend to so many people and, and a supporter of, of so many uh, individuals and organizations over the years. And, and, and I, I interviewed him, gosh, I always forget, I think it was 2007, I did a, a long interview with him. And the one thing that always sticks in my mind that he told me, and I said, what's, you know, what's been the secret to your success? What's the formula? And he, and he said, when I, when I want to be successful, my philosophy is, become friends with somebody first and then later on if you can do business with them great because friends are, are the friendship is always the the most important thing so friends first business later and i love that and i steal that quote all the time and then a guy like bruce who's done nothing but be an awesome uh, a supporter and an educator and and one of the 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 guys who's still out in the field and every time i ever saw bruce it seemed like he was out in a test plot someplace, you know. So one of those people that's still really doing it, and we need to appreciate them as well. But last but not least, you know, Will obviously that's tremendous. And there's a guy who wasn't, you know, wasn't necessarily an all star during his career. He was just a great contributor for a long time. And then the idea that they brought Palmer Maples back to celebrate the 50th anniversary of his term as president of the Carolinas Association speaks volumes about the association, but also about Palmer. And and if you're interested at all, you can go back and read a couple of columns I've written over the years where if it, if it had not been for Palmer Maples, I'd never be in this industry because of, of a long, long series of weird things that happened back in Lawrence, Kansas in the 1980s. But but I, I'm very grateful every time I see Palmer. And he looked wonderful. He was so healthy. So, yeah, that was really a special experience to see to see those legends of the industry get the attention they deserve. 
Do you think we'll have people like Palmer Maples and Willing Pennington and Bruce Martin 30 years from now, people that stay in jobs and positions for two, three, four decades? My generation and the generation below mine is a little bit different, but do you think we'll still have those people that that stick in roles for a long time and make huge contributions? I I think they will. When they don't have to make huge contributions. I, I do. I think we'll have more of them. Remember, people are living longer. They're healthier. You know, and we are facing this very interesting 10 years. The decade ahead is going to be fascinating because all the baby boomers are going to retire. And and that just is going to happen. And and first of all, it's great that many superintendents actually have pensions and retirement and 401ks and and can actually retire. And they've they've done because it didn't used to be that way. Uh, A lot of guys really struggled. They, They basically didn't have the savings or the 401ks or anything. And, and that's all changed. It's better than it used to be. So, so I, I, I do think we're going to see a lot of the baby boomer superintendents stopping doing what they're doing now and transitioning into something else. And, and, and I think consulting is, you know, kind of has this bad reputation, but why not? Why not keep the, that experience and that, 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 uh, unbelievable foresight that those folks have had in the, in the industry. I think it has a bad reputation because everybody's jealous of those who have consulting jobs and make them work. I mean, well, come on, that's that's one of the ultimate things in life is to stay involved in the industry that you contributed to right. and be able to pick and choose your spots and, and make money off I mean, of that. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a segment of consulting where you get paid to tell people what they want to hear. And you get paid uh, by a club to justify a decision they've already made, and that's unfortunate. But 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 that is a, that's a reality of any kind of consulting. But don't cast don't cast that same net over everybody doing that because the I, the vast majority of the guys I know are doing it because they want to help the superintendent who's in the current position survive and do better, and they want to help you know that 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 they view that that person is their client. Um, so, you know, I, I think I, I think there are going to be more guys doing that. I also, you know, one of the things I do worry a little bit about is we continue to have far too many people selling things in this industry. You know, we uh, we did some research here recently that showed that, that most superintendents are actually buying more stuff from fewer people. So there, there's this there's this kind of. Uh, uh, you know, this, the old days of, well, I'm going to spread it around and buy a little bit from this guy and a little bit. But those that's that's being squeezed out by better business practices, which is to you know consolidate your business with with a handful of people who give you the best service and the best solutions and the best uh, pricing or, you know, that, that combination of value you're looking for. And, and, and I don't know that that bodes well necessarily for for. Uh, salespeople with less less skill and less commitment, and and maybe not the portfolio that that others have. So, I, I think you're going to continue to see that a little bit. And and so I'm not so sure that this idea of all of these baby boomer supers rolling right over into the sales side is is going to work all that well. How prevalent is internet shopping in the industry, and how will that change business practices moving forward? Yeah, you know, I don't think it's going to change anything. Immediately, you know the Amazonation of of golf, right? And and, and it, it certainly has not been good for guys in the pro shop business or or people, uh, you know, trying to trying to uh, to sell golf related products from uh, bricks and mortar stores like Golfsmith or whatever else. That those guys are toast, okay? And they that that doesn't have anything to do with the health of the golf business. That has everything to do with Amazon. So so when you you flip flop that and look at 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 what we value 
from, um, from our chemicals and our seed and our soft goods and stuff. I don't see a major erosion of the current two-step supply chain coming anytime soon, but I do see a lot more things that are easily enough sold directly that don't require a lot of support or a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, agronomic knowledge to support a turf fan or a, uh, a cup cutter or, uh, you know, uh, flags and, and certain kinds of equipment where it just doesn't make any sense to have a big dealership around. I mean, we spent some time with, um, with Scott Kincaid from Turfco uh, at, at, uh, at Myrtle Beach. And Turfco is a company that's been selling direct for a long time. And, and there aren't that many of them, but I, but I think you're going to see more of that on, for, for things like that. Where, where you don't necessarily need a local agronomic partner who understands your conditions and your zip code and can make good recommendations based on what your real needs are. So, um, and, and then there are, there are some legality issues about shipping and transporting restricted use chemicals. Uh, there there are, are DOT regulations on all that stuff that I think are, again, going to make it Likely that, that people are going to continue to buy, buy from a trusted local agronomic distributor. Yesterday, we had a chance to visit a company in our own backyard, MTD, yeah, yeah. and saw some of their golf offerings, which are expanding by the year. They're really on the acquisition path right now. And one right. of the things we saw was the RG3, the robotic greensmower. I saw it a few years ago at Valley Brook Country Club outside I saw of Pittsburgh. It Ten years ago when it was called Precise Path, right. And the USGA Green Section recently wrote an article about it. And right. I know Pat, Pat O'Brien from the USGA Green Section alluded to it in his presentation in Myrtle Beach. Where are we with robotics right now, Pat? Well, I, I'm a little surprised that there isn't more of a groundswell to, to develop more of these. I'm not really quite sure why. Um, the, the RG3 is a, is a very interesting thing, and they, they have spent a lot of times getting it right. And, and you know, it, but, but I, you know, the, the math is kind of simple, that that's a pretty effective tool for some people in the right circumstances to mow their four and a half or five acres of green. Where's the tool that's going to mow the 60 acres of fairways? So that's what's coming next. And, and I've referred several times to these guys in Portugal, a company called Turflinks. And, and I think very clearly many of our partners in the U.S. are trying to figure out the technology that you need to, to put a, you know, a GPS autonomous steering unit on, a, uh, on a, a fairway mowing device of some kind. Because, A, uh, you, that's a lot of time. You know, having somebody sit on a mower... It's a lot of time. B, they mow to a, to a centimeter, and, and so you're going to get very accurate mowing, very accurate uh, maintenance of the the integrity of your fairway lines, just as you get with, with greens. That's something the Cub Cadet people emphasized with us yesterday is is the, 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 the labor ROI solution on the, on the RG3 is, is not as appealing to some people as the quality of cut. Uh, and that's pretty interesting in, in, in the integrity of collars and the integrity of the original architectural design, which is pretty interesting. Your point was you, you were talking about the fact that uh, if if architects maybe understood more about this, they might have some pickup. Explain what you what you yeah. were talking about there. So no matter how good somebody is at operating a push mower or a triplex on the green, that operator is not going to know the exact size of the green. What 
A.W. Tillinghast or Donald Ross or Alistair McKenzie or C.B. McDonald intended for that green. Right. No, no, but not, not your best operator in the world isn't going to know the exact you're specifications. You're always going to have creep. You're, that's yep. been a historically just Especially a, when you're mowing in the dark and, and right. trying to rush out in front of play. So greens, obviously, over years, through the fault of nobody, decrease in size. And they're... There's some solutions out there now, and we saw one yesterday using wiring and mapping and GPS mm -hmm. technology that, that, that it's kind of like GPS spraying that, that can let you know exactly where you should be mowing on the green to, to keep that architectural intent. And it just makes sense to me if you're spending, you know, 800000 a million, $1.5 million, $2 million to redo your greens, why would you not implement some of these te this right. technology to protect the architecture of the course? Which is obviously a really good sense. We, we kind of – and they, they have a product called True, True Edge. Edge. Right, which is separate from the RG3, so you can yeah. you can adjust it. You can put it on basically any mowing device, even triplexes. And, and what it's going to do is to keep your 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 original collar lines exactly where they're supposed to be. So if you're like you said, if you're spending a million dollars to redo your greens, or even a half a million dollars to rebuild your greens, we kind of estimate it would be a thirty to thirty-five thousand dollar investment. To, uh, to to have this system in place to maintain integrity. And maybe there's other equipment out there that does the same thing. Yep. But that just impressed me that, that that the ROI, this pays for itself in three or four years. And it would years. make sense to do that up front and fold it into the capital cost instead That's of two exactly years down right. the road saying, hey, I, I, I need to make this investment for, right. for my greens motors to, to keep the green and size. And to have an, ar an architect on your side saying, yes, I would like my work to be fairly represented 15 years from now, so I would recommend to this club that you guys make this investment to maintain the integrity. So I thought that that was a, that was a really interesting part of that conversation yesterday. Um, I, you know, I think that, and I like the fact that there are companies uh, like like Cub Cadet that are innovating and investing in, in new products to to bring to the market. This Infinicut uh, 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 real mower they have that's being used at Wimbledon and it's being used, uh, it's being tested at golf courses in Europe and around here. Yeah, and, that, and soccer pitches that are hand mowed right. in, in Europe. But it's basically the first new greens mower uh, in a long time. So, so a new brand. So I think that's great. I think it's terrific. I think competition is always good. Um, so, so yeah, that was a good education. But, but all in all, you know, the 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 future for golf looks pretty healthy. Our biggest challenge is where are we going to find people that will work for us? Uh, you know, whether or not it's a wage issue or uh, or whether it's an availability issue. So uh, uh, autonomous operations where we can automate any kind of operation, whether it be mowing or spraying or whatever, are absolutely part of our future. And, and, and that's not saying, well, we're going to take jobs away from people. No, we're not. We're, we're replacing labor that we can't find or we can't afford anymore. So, you know, if you, if you can come in and produce a, a, an effective fairway robot mower that mows at night, right? And, sure, you know, sure, the, the collision avoidance thing is going to happen. We, I get asked, like, well, what if there's a stick in the way? Or what if there's somebody leaves a, when somebody leaves a metal ball marker on the green, what's going to happen? Um, it stops. <laughs> it stops and sends a signal to your cell phone and says, hey, come fix me. You know, and, and, and so it's, it, this stuff's been going on for years. There's been autonomy. Robots are everywhere in American life. We should just embrace it. I would say that the uh, maybe the, the two products that have helped superintendents the most this year aren't a piece of equipment. They're 
plant health and chemical innovations to control nematodes. How big yeah. of a problem is nematodes and how big was it that Bear and Sagenta came out with solutions to help superintendents? And Qualipro. Qualipro has and a Qualipro. project. Yeah. And they're not even an advertiser. I'd like to point that out. <laughs> so, I mean, three options that really weren't there 18 months ago are there. How big has that been for superintendents, for their, their peace of mind and for their business models? And I think the other thing we have to point out is that nematodes is just not a problem in the southeast anymore. Right. It, it, it is spreading, and I'm sure that's something that's going to well, be talked no, about more and more at shows in New Jersey and Ohio and other parts of the country well, in a few weeks. A, as Bruce Martin told me, uh, when they rolled out Indemnify last year, it is a game changer. And Bruce doesn't say stuff like that, okay? So it, 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 those products are game changers. Bottom line, it just murdered a lot of golf courses that were otherwise very well maintained. It was unpredictable, really a problem to deal with. And, and it seems like it's become a controllable thing, that it's part of what you can you diagnose and treat now. Um, the northern issue has always been there. I think that we're beginning to understand that, that some kind of mystery problems on, on, on greens up north were, in fact, nematode-related issues. So, so you've got you know, multiple kinds of nematodes, multiple environments and microclimates and things like that. So it will be interesting to see as more and more Yankees give this stuff a try to see uh, how it's going to solve the problem. But I agree. I, I mean, that was, you look back and that was, a, that was really a game changer. And we put we put that article out uh, last January, I think it was, and and man, right, there's been it's rare that we've had that much response to an agronomic article. Um, a lot of the, you know we get we get a lot of feedback when I you know Tim Morgan uh, writes something kind of angry or I write something kind of angry. Uh, <laughs> not that that ever happens, uh, uh, but but in that case, it was an agronomic article that really got a lot of people's attention. So yeah, that that's a big one. Switching over from from product related discussions to course related discussions, and the golf courses you are visiting, what are some trends you're seeing? I have a a bunch that I, I've seen. What are some things you've seen on a golf course now that that are flying that maybe didn't fly a few years ago? I'd start with trees. I mean, they're, they're being cut, cut down at astronomical rates and for the the yeah. right right reasons and yeah. at places where you thought that maybe it would be met with a lot of resistance, it's actually be, being met with glee. <laughs> I have a friend on Facebook who's not a golf person, and, and she was like, why do you hate trees so much? Why are you always celebrating when somebody cuts down a tree? And I'm like, you got to understand, it's, it's a sacrifice that we need to make. And, um, and in a lot of cases, these are not native trees. They weren't trees that were originally on the property before it was a golf course. Right, they were exactly. trees that were planted during the 50s this and 60s the, when everybody are, wanted, wanted tight fairways and a Parkland golf course. Yeah. So these aren't, these aren't if, if you look at the aerials from 100 years ago, the trees that are being cut down now didn't even exist 100 years right. ago. Exactly. You know, it, it, yeah, I think that that's a big part of things. I think that the, the kind of, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, centerline maintenance, the whole idea that you don't have to be Augusta National from wall to wall. And Augusta National is awesome, and that's their brand, and that's what they, they should be. But I think a lot of courses are discovering that's not mission critical to them. Um, the biggest trend is still bunkers. Uh, we asked a question in our state of the industry study, which is out there right now. Would you all please go to your inbox and fill out our state of We'll the be industry talking study? about that more here in a few minutes. Oh, okay. Well, one of the questions we asked is, What's a, essentially, what's a bigger pain in the ass, greens or bunkers? And and I'll be interested to hear the, the response to that question. But, you know, you, you look at where the investment is going on in remodeling and renovation in our market right now, and it's very much focused on bunkers. And it's very much focused on solving a practical problem. How do you keep these things from washing out 
and how do you maximize their life uh, as a bunker? There's all sorts of great new products out there. You know, we, we talk a lot about Billy Bunker, but um, I saw this Polylast uh, 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 product that my friend Joe Livingston was using at Rivercrest Country Club down in Dallas. And this stuff was originally developed as kind of a black plastic matting material or rubberized matting material was originally developed to, to create floors in barns. So the, the material was impregnated with some stuff to, to make it sort of pee resistant, I guess, or, or defecation resistant for horses or whatever. But anyway, bottom line is it, it, it's permeable. And, and so the water moves through it fairly well and, it, and you can create a really good uh, uh, base for your bunker sand and the sand seems to hold on to it. So that, you know, for, for somebody like Joe, who could probably afford any bunker method he wanted, he liked it for, for his reason. So so we there are still, I mean, the, the Dura bunkers and the Echo bunkers and all these different systems that Capillary are Capillary concrete. Capillary concrete invented by superintendent. So, so you know, I think it's really cool that, that we now have all of these, these different methods of fixing this problem out there. I still think it's crazy that we spend so much time making a hazard more perfect. It's as Tim Morgan but, says, it's a hazard. Don't hit it there. But uh, golfers don't view that way, especially golfers that are paying, you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars for memberships and greens fees. Yes, they're a hazard, but the expectations yeah. for them aren't aren't going down, and yeah. they're also an important part of a golf course visually and strategically. Imagine, you know, people say, oh, you know, what, why does a golf course need bunkers, or you know, we can get by with twelve bunkers. Just imagine what a golf course would look like and played with w- w- without these so-called hazards. Yeah. I, I, and, and so, yeah, I, I think that that I still do see that changing. Boy, I'll tell you, a lot of golf courses I go to, you do see them in, in, so, in some stage of bunker renovation. Um, the, the number one thing we all need to focus on is hospitality. And customer service, you know. Are you going to go on the turkey sandwich rant right now? Because I oh, think our uh, listeners would love to hear this. Well, I don't want to identify <laughs> the, the course, hey, but I, I think you all know what I mean. It, it's how, more than one course. Yeah, it, pretty <laughs> much every course. When you when you go and you're at an outing, you're at a scramble or an event or whatever else, and you get the box lunch. Why do they have to suck? Why do they have to be so bad? The dry turkey sandwich and the little package of mayonnaise and. Maybe an apple and a cookie that was baked in 1963. For Christ's sakes, can't we do better? So bottom line is, why can't golf courses have the same customer service ethic that the average Starbucks has? So, that, you know, and, and that, that's, you, you think, well, that's not really a, a turf thing, Pat. Yes, it is. It's everybody. And, and I always challenge people to think, okay, how can, how can everybody at your facility adopt the same standards that a Ritz-Carlton has or the folks at Marriott have or, or the, the kinds of, of customer service uh, rules that Bob Dedman uh, uh, put in place with the old Club Corp organization years ago, that everybody's responsible for service, everybody should know everybody's name. Um, there's so many important things, but yeah, but, but it all comes back to not having crappy, dry turkey sandwiches and just just going through the motions on on everything and, and that's one of those touch points for customers you know nope. that box lunch everybody gets the box lunch and everybody's like oh this is awful <laughs> And what has impressed me, some facilities are, are getting it on the food and beverage end. Two, two things that really stick out are the ones that, that go local. So, for example, if you have a 
peanut factory within 60 miles of your course, why not sell those peanuts yeah. in the pro why shop? You, I, I'll, I'll, you know, a lot of people will pay 50 cents to a dollar more for right. something local or local potato chips or local craft beer or local wine. Yeah. And the other thing I saw, and this is maybe the, the coolest thing I've ever seen in a, a clubhouse at a country club was I was at the country club at Mirasol and Palm Beach Gardens, which is an ultra competitive private golf m- I, I market. I pay for you to go all these places, by the way. It's, and, it's- you know, and, and the superintendent down there, uh, Michael Thomas, was really smart. Yes, he showed me the golf course, but he also showed me everything else the club has to offer to, to let me know that where his agronomic mission ties into the bigger purpose right. of the club. So we got to see some really cool things. We got to see tennis courts and, and the dining room and where they have weddings. And they also invested a couple million dollars in a fitness center. And then below that fitness center, instead of having a, a traditional clubhouse bar they had a health food cafe that made smoothies and and salads and guess who likes stuff like that i do i do too but But more importantly (laughs) so i mean how cool is that everybody's like how can we get kids to play the game and how can we get more people to play the game there's a bunch of women who want to play golf but they're intimidated by it because we make it intimidating and it all starts in the pro shop and then it goes to the first tee and we can talk on and on and on about this but yeah listen there's a lot of women that that really would enjoy a golf experience that wasn't all focused on the score and rules and being embarrassed or being intimidated you take some of that stuff out of there and, and i think we'll begin to reinvent this game for a whole new group of people who, who who you may have never considered to be core and, and that brings me to the next topic on our list uh some big picture things list. going on in the world of golf <laughs> yes it's just, sitting right in front of you literally I, guy calls me and says we should do a random podcast or, or, or what did you call it it was the you, this idea topic? actually came from you on our drive back from the mtd facility yesterday oh, okay. <laughs> right. my fault no i'm glad we're doing it the next thing is you're, you're talking about golf rules and and there's been a big discussion this week about the golf ball and some people Uh, taking cracks at each other you know mike Mike davis is saying one thing golf course architects are saying another thing and then the ceo of titleist comes out and essentially is uh blaming developers and golf course architects there's a guy who's in touch with today's golf where do you fall on this one and and i'll go first pat yes the (laughs) golf ball goes really far but it's going really far for the really 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 good players The, the the Seriously, there's maybe a thousand players in the world who are who are uh, hitting the ball too far for some of these traditional golf courses. And do we need to change the golf ball to suit those thousand players? I mean, think of all the amateurs. The the average amateur golfer isn't getting any better. The average handicap going down. Golf is still right. tough. Driving distance is 226 yards. And I would for argue men. that for, for for all men, for and all, all men, you hear is that, yards. You know, when when a guy hits a 350 yard drive during a PGA Tour event, all you hear is people saying, "Hey, the golf ball goes too far." Well, the golf courses are firmer than they used to be. We right. heard Paul Vermillion speak about That's that exactly at the GIE right. Expo at the Kentucky Turfgrass Council meeting. The He's vice just, president of agronomy for the PGA Tour. He says that the number one thing a PGA Tour player. Uh, wants is a firm golf course more than a, a green golf course or a fast golf course. So yep. these courses are firmer than they've ever been. And also the players' fitness regimes are better than they've ever, right. ever been. And, so, the and the equipment is better yes. than it's ever been. There's no question. So do we roll back the golf ball to, to because a 1,000 players are getting too good? I think that's the big debate the right now. It's the tail wagging the dog, and it makes me crazy. 2.5% of golfers in America have a single-digit handicap. Let that settle in for a minute, okay? There's 25 million golfers in the United States. 2.5% of them have a single-digit handicap. Yet, everything we do is to satisfy them. 
How about the other 97.5% who pay money to go play golf just like those? Yeah, yes, low handicappers play a lot of golf. Yes, they tend to be members of clubs. I, I understand that. I get it, right? But should does that mean we should we we should manage the game entirely to them, or or does that mean that maybe a few places, a few courses? Yeah, sure, great, fine. You need eight thousand yard course, fine. But the fact is, is the United States Golf Association. I don't think my humble opinion. They got the crap beaten out of them by Carson Solheim back on the Square Grooves issue twenty plus years ago, and their lawyers don't want to have anything to do with 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 changing the the with creating with the restraining trade which is what the lawsuit will be about the moment they come out and say uh we're going to require people to change the ball or we're going to we're going to outlaw these kinds of clubs they get sued right and they the usga is an organization with a lot of lawyers and, and they they will avoid this kind of, of litigation at any cost so bottom line is that what it comes down to you can talk all you want about it I really don't think they're going to do anything about it. I, I think it's just going to continue to be kind of a problem. And, yeah, it's going to limit our ability to play some great courses that are too short or whatever. But Marion was too short. What was the final score when they played? Uh, when the, the Even par. Yeah. Justin I, Rose. I'd just like to remind everybody that, that, that length isn't the only thing. Aaron Hills. Aaron Hills. Was, quote, unquote, easy, not because the golf ball is going too far. It was – Easy because it had rained earlier in the week. The course wasn't as firm as it as it could have been. The fairways were very wide, and the greens were soft. So that's yeah. and there was no wind. Yeah. I, so yeah. So I, I I think this is a tempest in a teapot, and I think Wally Uline yeah. is the last person in the world that should be commenting on this. You know, hey, my son's a tour player, and he can hit it three twenty. Well, good for you. So, <laughs> you know, again, I just keep and there's we've published this information in the past. There, you have to think about what the average player does, male and female. And if anything, rather than lengthening courses, let's get to the longleaf tee type uh, concept where you're creating tee boxes that give people uh, that, that aren't gender identified or aren't kids tees or whatever. Play whatever tee you want. I guess my point is, why would you take the technology like golf balls that maybe go a bit further? Ninety-seven point five percent of us that are, out of their hands because right. there are a thousand players that are are making a few courses play too short. Right. That said, the the guy that I, I can't recall his name at the moment. Uh, uh, who's the current uh, um, tech, uh, equipment guy for the United States Golf Association, the equipment testing guy, he's a PhD, right? And, and he told me flatly that unless you were a 10 handicap or better, you probably couldn't tell the difference between a Pro V1 and a Top Rock, you know? Except <laughs> so, at the cash register. Exactly. <laughs> but you still buy them because you, you, you have this sense of confidence and you feel like you want to you wanna play with confidence around a brand or whatever. But the bottom line is, for a guy like me, I should, I'd probably be just fine hitting Top Rocks, but yet I still want to have the Pro V. So why not? Why not? So uh, I'm going to read you two lists here, Pat, and I want to get your reaction on them, and I'll give my thoughts on them too. Uh, future U.S. Open sites. It seems like every week the USGA oh, or PGA yeah. of America is announcing a future site for a major championship, but the future U.S. Open sites, 2018 Shinnecock Hills, 2019 Pebble Beach, 2020 Wingfoot, 2021 Torrey Pines, yes. 2022 the Country Club, Which 2023 the superintendent. Los Angeles Country Club, 2024 Pinehurst, 2025 Oakmont, 2026 Shinnecock Hills, and 2027, this was just announced, Pebble Beach. What, what do you think the USGA is trying to accomplish with those sites? <laughs> I, think they I think they're getting very conservative and well, going back to oldies but goodies. 
yeah, that's what people want. And, and, and you know, the, the, the requirements for the U.S. Open, you know, sites have a lot to do with history and a lot to do with quality of golf course, the quality of golf and everything. But they also have to do with major media markets. And, yep. and how many able, people can fit on the ground. Right, being able yeah. to try, you know, how, how well you handle logistics and stuff That's like probably that. why we don't see Marion on, on this list. No, I, I, I can't. That and Marion's getting ready to go through a major renovation, yeah, too, I, so I, give I it time. I can't speak to any of that, and I'm sure they'll be back around again in the future. But but the bottom line is is that, that I, I think I think the USGA and, and Mike really tried to make a point. They tried to They tried to make a point about what golf courses should look like through some of the selections they had the last few years, notably Chambers and, and, and Aaron Hills. That, and those were decisions that got made a decade or more ago, 20 years ago, of, well, we need to show people that golf courses don't have to look perfect and green and manicured. They can look different. You know what? We get it. We get it. We absolutely all get it. And, and you know, if anything, we've trended now more towards minimalism uh, and, and maybe the pendulum, maybe the pendulum swung too far uh, at, the, at a time when the only courses we seem to be building are the, you know, the, the Sand Hill, or excuse me, the Sand Valley and the the Bandon courses and the, the minimalist type courses. Stream Song. Uh, Stream Song, right? Yeah. So, 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 you know, maybe the the pendulum's way over here now. So, so yeah, it worked. So let's get back to creating the best tests of golf making people feel wonderful about a U.S. Open because it has history and memories and value. And what a list of golf yep. course superintendents that are hosting this event, too. It's, it's going to be awesome. It's amazing. And now we'll go to the PGA Championship. 2018 Bell Reef, 2019 Bethpage Black, 2020 Harding Park, 2021 the Ocean Course at Kiowa, wow. 2022 Trump National Bedminster, 2023 Oak Hill, 2024 Valhalla, 2027 Aronimink, 2028 Olympic Club, and then either 2025 or 2030 will be Southern Hills. And I, I absolutely love this list for a number of re reasons. First off, Pat, there's a great mix of courses in all parts of the, the country here. It's just not one region. The PGA is taking its flagship event to. It's a mix of public courses, resort courses, yeah. private courses. Uh, the superintendents are obviously great at all these places. <laughs> and also, it's kind of interesting, 2027 and 2028 with Aronimank and the Olympic Club, Aronimank has a former superintendent as a general manager, John Cunningham, and the right. Olympic Club has a former superintendent yeah. as a general manager, Pat Pat Finland. So that's really, really cool that we're going to have, uh, you know, if they're still in their positions by then, that's a long way away, and I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be. They're very smart people who are going to do well at their clubs. For proving once again that a, a, a top-level superintendent, that the jump for them to learn the leadership and business skills to become a GM is a much smaller jump mm -hmm. than it would be for a PGA professional, I, I think, in my humble opinion, or, or a club manager, to learn what they would need to know about operational management of a golf course to become a general manager. So so it, 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 if superintendents like Finland and, 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 and Cunningham want to make this leap it's a much easier leap I, th I think for them but yeah no it blows and, me away and I'm it's a great see, contrast to the I'm usga list see ocean course back on the list again because that's just a great golf course that that i think nobody will be complaining about the golf ball going too far of course it's <laughs> being too easy that week no windiest place on the planet it was I, I, the only place i think i ever hit a golf ball and it blew backwards over my head it just is crazy but no i i there's some wonderful wonderful courses on here 
and, and some with great history. And I think that's important for the PGA to, to connect themselves to that. So, yeah, really wonderful. And, and, and again, a lot of these are, are U.S. Open courses uh, as well. You know, they, they have a storied history. So And, and if I you look it. at the list of future PGA championship sites, there are also places where you could fit 30, 40, 50,000 people on the, yeah, on the ground. Exactly. Are you suggesting this is about revenue? <laughs> Isn't everything? <laughs> Let's yes. be real here. Golf's <laughs> yes, a business. <laughs> but one thing that should be noted is beginning 2019, the PGA Championship will be played in May. So if you look at some of these yeah, sites, right. uh, Bethpage Black in 2019, who knows what the weather is going to be. And in 2023, Oak Hill Country Club in May. I, I was just up there hosting a panel last month, and Jeff Corker and the uh, director of Grounds there said that the average temperature <laughs> in May is around 65 degrees during yeah. the week the PGA is going to be, but that fluctuates. It could be 80 degrees one May and then 45 degrees the next May. So who knows what type of weather there's going to be there. That's awesome. But, and but that's the, far better than it being 119 degrees yep. in Tulsa for the PGA. You know, that's crazy when you – I mean, I was there for – I was at the PGA Championship in 1988 at Oak Tree. And it was. It was 120 degrees in, in Oklahoma City. It's just brutal. Nobody should nobody should have to do that. I was at Quail Hollow a few months ago in August, yeah. and fortunately it, it rained and the skies were a little bit gray, and it didn't get quite as suffocating hot as it should but, have been. And I saw some interesting the thing, things on the line. This has nothing to do with agronomy. It has everything to do with TV. And, and what they've tried to do is to move the PGA Championship out of college football season, right, or, or pro football season, and that, that but training camp time, train whatever. Yeah. But but they were finding that they just didn't have the viewership that they that they wanted for that event. So moving it back makes a hell of a lot of sense for TV, and it works better for the tour because the tour championship now becomes the focus of the end yeah. of the season. Well, and think about May. What big sporting events are played in May? Yeah, you're in the early rounds of the NBA and NHL playoffs, but you usually the Olympics are never. In May, the NFL playoffs are never in May. Right. The college football season is never in May. It just it, there was really a, a gap on the TV sports schedule in the month of May, and hopefully that this will boost the ratings and get some more eyeballs on golf. Because the more people that watch golf, obviously, the better for everyone in the business. Right. And I'm sure that's exactly what everybody's thinking about is is that it's, it's growing the game. So some oh, it's about money. Some closing <laughs> thoughts here, or we'll call them parting shots because okay. somebody hey, has to call them that shots. name. Wow. Is that uh, we got a lot of things going on at, at GCI. The first thing is. Our December issue is our second Turf Heads oh, takeover man. issue. Pat, tell people why they should be excited about this again. Well, number one, the cover is incredibly cool. <laughs> we just the, the I wish I could go and share it with this podcast, but yeah, we're going to make we'll, everybody wait. We'll get close to that. And and number two is is the the the, the whole concept was we're gonna we're gonna step back. Those of us who get paid to write every day are gonna step back, and we're gonna we're gonna turn it over to you guys. We're gonna turn it over to you uh, to have a chance to to express what you really think, whether that's a, a column or whether that's a story. And, and I will I will I will preview a couple of things. Okay, number one is I I I, I twisted Dean Graves' arm uh, to write about something that always impressed me incredibly, which is the teamwork ethic. At Chevy Chase Club, and, and and how that that team, man, they just get it. You want to talk about hospitality and and understanding member service and everything else. So Dean's Dean was kind enough to to sit down and write about that for us. And, and there's a ton of other awesome articles in there. But we also um, reached out and were, were successful in, in getting a, a young woman named Alicia Schwab, uh, who's uh, 
very, very thoughtful person to, to look into this issue of why we don't have more female golf course superintendents. You know, and, and uh, when I was at GCSA years and years and years ago, we, we were able to figure out that there were about 200 female superintendents and about 25 of them were certified superintendents. And from what I understand, I don't have access to their database or whatever, and Shalia Finney or somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, I think there are fewer now than there were then. And that sucks. That's wrong. And, and there's absolutely no reason for it other than culture and and and, and, and changing the sort of historical imperative of, of who we recruit. So uh, Alicia looks into that and, and, and really looks at it from a you're not going to want to miss this article. Yeah, it's really she, great. De she deserves all the credit in the world, A, for doing this, and B, for tackling it in such a, a candid way. I mean, she didn't she didn't have to do do this for us. She could have quietly went about her business doing a great job at Pheasant Run in Ontario. But she looks at this as a very serious issue, and she brings a, a tremendous perspective to it, and she deserves all the credit in the world. I'm sure some people are going to read it and maybe not agree initially with what I think she's saying will be and I, I think, I hope but she's saying things she put things in print that people have been thinking in their heads right. for years and right. that's and she's putting her name to it and uh, she does tremendous work at her, her, her golf course and she's really a up-and-coming star in this industry yeah, and I, I think more. that you're not going to want to miss this but, article but least, you're not going to want to miss any of them but this one is especially powerful and just very very well done and I know she put credit, a lot her, of hours into it she did yeah. but to her credit she crowdsourced this article on both Twitter and Facebook. I think just Twitter. Just yeah. Twitter? Yeah. And the, the, the feedback on there was overwhelmingly positive and overwhelmingly, yes, we agree, we need to change this, we need to do better. And, 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 and I think I heard a lot more female voices coming up that I had not heard before who responded to this. And that's the one thing this could really do is, is, is help a lot of those young women who are interested in this profession or maybe kind of on the bubble Am I going to stick around? Is this worth it? Is this the right thing for me? But maybe, just maybe, this will solidify their decision to, to pursue a career in turf. But it, that is, those are two of 14? 13. 13 uh, articles. And, and then uh, last but not least, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have old Tom Morris writing from the grave. That'll be, uh, that'll be in place of my usual ramblings. Uh, so anyway, yeah, we're excited about Turfheads takeover in December, and and again, we like it because it gives you guys a a, a, a voice, but it also gives us a break. You know? Not not really though. Yeah, People yeah. say, oh, you you must have a uh, easy November and December because your readers are doing all the work, and that's not the case. We spend a lot of time here thinking about how we're going to plan this issue and editing these stories really? and going back and forth with the writers. At least I do, because I, I know how powerful this issue is going to be. And it's actually just as much work, if not more work. And we are happy to do the more work to bring you uh, an issue where your peers are are the voices. And one last thing, Pat, our state of the industry survey went out in the field yesterday. Tell our, our listeners and followers why, why they should fill this out. Well, we're focused on two things. Number one is labor. And we're really digging down more specifically on um, not just the challenges, but solutions that people are trying. And, and then the second thing is capital spending. So, you know, in the past, we've always asked you to dig out your budget and tell us how much your money you're spending on fungicides and wedding agents and, you know, and flag sticks and all that stuff. Not this year. We're giving you a break. We're going to focus a little more in-depth on what you're spending your capital budget for. Um, so uh, that, that I think that that's something that we heard a lot of at the Carolina show. 
that the remodeling and renovation market is really driving the health of the industry down there. So yep, and that's why the uh, all the booths were filled. In fact, they had to create some overflow booths is because of the number yeah. of exhibitors involved in the renovation and construction side of the yep. business. So, so uh, look for that. We, we always appreciate it when you fill out our, our, our survey. Again, every single one that gets completed, we're going to send 10 bucks to the We One Foundation. You know, that's three, four, five thousand dollars we'll donate uh, to help support their mission, uh, which I think we'd probably do anyway. But you know what? You could be a part of it. You can, you can, you can make another ten bucks count for somebody. And it need. takes less than ten minutes and, to and fill it's out. Shorter too, because yep. yeah, because we're not asking you about wedding agents and pre-emergent herbicides and stuff. It won't take you as long to fill it out. So as we said in our email. Ten minutes equals ten dollars for we one. I came up with that line myself, didn't I? That's very uh, witty. So <laughs> this was wonderful, Pat. I think we will probably do hey, an another one, one of these. One more oh. thing. One more thing. I am, uh, as always, grateful. Very, very grateful uh, that another Thanksgiving is rolling around, and I'm here with you uh, uh, as part of uh, this community because it's the most wonderful community in the world, and I, I, I think so highly of, of you all and the job you do. Uh, and, and, but I, I'm, I'm very grateful to be a part of this. I'm very grateful to have people like Guy and Mike and Russ Warner and, and Craig Thorne and uh, Caitlin McCoy and people you... Jim Blaney, our Jim Blaney, awesome our designer. designer. Who blew me away with this December cover you're going to see soon. But I'm very grateful to have a really wonderful team. And they all they all get it. They all They all really understand you guys and what you do. So, uh, so I, again, for Thanksgiving and just in general, thank you uh, for, for being uh, good friends to, to our magazine and, and thanks to, to all of you for what you do. So, okay, that's it, Guy. You can wrap it up now. Yeah, well said, Pat. And we only got to about a third of the things I thought we were going to get to. So we will do another one of these before the year's over. Really? We will? Yes. Okay, sounds great. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Try to keep warm. Try to get some time with your family.